0: Amen. Praise God. Well, we are continuing the series that we uh, started several weeks ago preparing for Christ's return. So I'd love for you to turn to our master text this time today in the book of Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to read a short and familiar passage in Philippians 4. And when you find that, join me in honoring the precious, holy, majestic Word of God and stand with me as we honor His Word. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Many of you will recognize this as very familiar. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Well, let me just do a very quick review of where we've been so far in this series and uh, remind you that we've been comparing the folks who are prepared for Christ's return uh, with those who are unprepared for Christ's return. So let's go down the list of where we've been so far. Those who are prepared for Christ's return are actively working to advance God's kingdom. And they're not wrapped up in their own little world. But those who are unprepared, quite the opposite. Life is totally given over to one's own interests and selfish pursuits. Those who are prepared for Christ's return have their affections set on heaven. But those who are unprepared, their affections are set on worldly and selfish things. Those who are prepared for Christ's return are committed to public worship, what you're doing right now, whereas those who are unprepared have a low priority on church attendance and worshiping together with God's people. And those who are prepared for Christ's return are lovers of the Word of God. We covered that last week. Whereas those who are unprepared spend little or no time given to the Bible. And God's wisdom and his word. Today we're going to be covering this one. Those who are prepared are seeking to constantly express the love and grace of God. But those who are unprepared for Christ's return are more concerned about justice and personal rights. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna jump into this with both feet. I'm gonna reference as we do Matthew 24, verses 12 through 13. Which says, and because lawlessness will abound. It's talking about the last days. This is Jesus speaking. He's talking about the last days. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, part of what that means, by the way, is that our love has to endure Even when hate and division are a way of life all around us in our culture. I want to say that again. Part of what that means is that the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts, the Bible says, that love has to endure. It has to be unshakable. Even when hate and division are a way of life all around us. And we certainly see that hate and division going on in our culture very prevalently right now. You know, I'm almost 56 years old, and I have never seen a time in my entire life of more divisiveness and hatred than is going on right now. But as for us, as for Christ followers, we have to make sure that we're pursuing the love of God, even in a loveless world. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that doesn't mean that we don't stand up for what's right. There is a time for peace and there's a time for war, the book of Ecclesiastes says. But in either scenario, we have to be careful to maintain our priority on expressing the love of God to those around us, even if we don't agree with them. You know, I myself have been recently guilty of looking around at all the injustice and all the deception going on in our culture right now and being very angry and troubled in my spirit and wanting to lash out about it. But God is reminding me that first and foremost, we have to be people of love. So I'm going to talk this morning about one of the the signs of the prepared is that we need to be shining the light on God's love in a loveless world. Shining the light of God's love on a loveless world. Well, normally with a teaching on love, you might expect me to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, the famous love chapter, or maybe preach from a segment of, of 1 John, the book of 1 John. And I think these are great places to spend your time reading, by the way. I would encourage you all to go to those sections of Scripture and read and study those. But uh, the Holy Spirit took me in a very different direction in this teaching, and it's a, a road that I really had no intention of going down when I first started putting this teaching together, which is how I know it was from the Holy Spirit. Um, you see, it, it is possible to live in turbulent times and still be living in a bubble of, of the protection of God, sort of like you see there in that image on the screen. It is possible to live in very turbulent and stormy times and still be living in a bubble of God's protection. To live in a state of peace, you see, even when there's great upheaval going on all around us. So our key concept for this morning is that love comes easier to people who are enjoying inner peace. I want to say that again. Love comes easier to people who are enjoying inner peace. But quite the opposite is also true. If people are not enjoying inner peace, they tend to be on edge. They tend to be touchy, uh, given to outbursts of anger, etc. So therefore, we have to protect our serenity. We have to protect it. Actively seek to protect our serenity. And our example of that, of course, is, is Jesus. I don't think Jesus ever went around wringing his hands and wondering and worrying about what's going to happen, right? In fact, I know that wasn't the case about Jesus. He always operated in supernatural faith, and that kept him in a state of peace all the time. Um, in fact, Jesus was so at peace, even when he was preparing to go to the cross... I mean, can you imagine anticipating the agony that Jesus was about to go through on the cross? Even in anticipating that, he was still so at peace that he even conferred that peace upon his disciples. Now, I want to make a point about this. Let me read this this to you out of John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So Jesus was strengthening his disciples, encouraging them to walk in peace, even while he was anticipating going to the cross. He could have been very self-focused and thrown a pity party, but no, he was very at peace because he was following the plan of the Father. And therefore, that strength that that peace gave him allowed him to strengthen his disciples. And that's what God needs from you and me, folks. Listen, that's what God needs from you and me, to be a people of such peace that we can be strong because of that peace and then in turn strengthen others. You following me? And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church and the master text that we just read from. He wrote to the Philippian church and told them to be anxious for nothing. And that was a tall order, I think, especially for them because of the upheaval that they were going through at that time and the widespread persecutions of Christians that were happening then. But this is our mandate, to have such faith in God that it eliminates anxiousness And anxiety. Now again going back to part of our master text. In Philippians chapter 4 on that note. Let's remind us of uh, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God. Which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts And your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? You see if we can keep our focus on Jesus then. If we can place our faith in his goodness. And his purposes. Then we'll more easily navigate these troubled times in a state of perpetual peace. Yes it's possible. And then we'll be in a position of being able to express the love of God to a, a hurting and dying world. Praise the Lord. So I want to talk just for a few minutes here about putting what we just read in our master text into practical application. How many of you know the Bible is very practical? So let's, uh, let's just break this down verse by verse and put it into practical application. So verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord sometimes when you feel like it and things are going well for you. No, <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always... And then he reemphasizes that point. I will say it again. Rejoice. So the point here that you can write down is that we should rejoice, or another word for that would be to celebrate in the Lord's goodness in your life every day. Now, by the way, I want to say a word about praise and worship here for just a moment. You know, this is why... Praise and worship is so important because it's an opportunity to obey this principle right here. Praise and worship is an expression of celebrating God's goodness in our lives and lavishing the appreciation on Him that He so richly deserves. And I want to encourage you today to start practicing a lifestyle of worship every day in every situation, but especially at church. It's the perfect opportunity, after all, to rejoice in the Lord with other people who are doing the same. Praise God. And, and, you know, let me say this. It's okay to have a good time in church. God is a God of joy. The Bible says that he rejoices over you with shouts of joy. So it's okay to have a good time in church. It's okay to raise your voice, to raise your hands, to move around a little bit and just give thanks to God. Try it. (laughs) It does something for you when you just make yourself rejoice in the Lord. Even when you don't feel like it. There's something about that that will break something loose in your life and literally start to make you feel happier. And that's a principle of psychology, by the way. Psychologists tell us that if we do what we know is right, even when we don't feel like it, all of a sudden we start feeling like it and we start enjoying the process. That's a principle of psychology. You know, I'm not ashamed of being white, but there are times when I want to tell some white people to not be so white. And what I mean by that, what I mean by that is, I really do appreciate um, our brothers and sisters in the Hispanic and the black communities because in their churches, they really know how to celebrate God. And I think we do a pretty good job of that here, too. But I just want to encourage you it's okay to celebrate God and enjoy His presence. Okay? Yeah, no, listen, I know that maybe you can't move as rhythmically as a Hispanic or a black person. I know that that's probably true of some of us. But we can at least do as the Bible says and raise our hands to him and raise our voices and clap. I mean, and sing out to him. We can certainly do that much, can't we? See, if there's one thing that I've learned about God in studying the word for as many years as I've studied it. There's one thing I've learned about God, and He is not stodgy. He's not. God is not stodgy. He likes enthusiasm. God Himself is an enthusiastic God. I just, I just gave you a scripture out of the book of Zephaniah, which says that He rejoices over us with shouts of joy. He's like a father. He's, a, he's enthusiastic about you. He's excited about you. So God is not stodgy. He likes enthusiasm. I mean, look who he chose to be his original people after all, the Jews, who were probably some of the most expressive people on the planet. You know, when the Jews were happy about something, they would celebrate so enthusiastically and so loudly that the next town could hear the commotion. And when they got angry and upset about something, they would rip their clothes and throw dust in the air and strap on their swords. They were very expressive people. Oy vey. <laughs> <laughs> So God likes it, I believe, when we're expressive in our love for Him. Now, let me qualify that. There are times when Stillness and somberness is very appropriate. The Bible also says, be still and know that I am God. So that's very appropriate at times as well. But expressing your appreciation to God does something inside of us when we do that. So that's the first principle that we can get out of Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So be a person who rejoices in God. It will do something good for you. Here's the next verse, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So always be aware then of the nearness of God. And let that help you to maintain a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. Now, before you lash out and give that person a piece of your mind... The practical application here is just remind yourself that God is near. We seem to forget that so often. Maybe we know it intellectually, but we so often forget it in practical application. The Lord is near all the time. He's never far from you. He's always watching. Okay? He's listening. So what would he have you do in those various situations when you're tempted to lash out? And then just stop yourself and then respond with gentleness because the Lord is near. Okay, I think we're getting somewhere this morning. Next verse, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Now that's the tall order, I realize. Be anxious for nothing. The practical application here is to do your best to reject anxiety. When you see anxiety trying to slip into the situation and and make you full of fear and and make your countenance fall, reject that. And see, that has to be an, an active decision that you make. Listen, rejecting anxiety and embracing joy isn't the default position The human default position is to accept the anxiety, is to accept the depression. That's the human default position. We have to make a conscious choice to do the other thing, to do the right thing. And that's going to take a little bit of strength of character on our part to do that. See, because anxiety, listen, anxiety is the enemy of peace. It's the enemy of peace, obviously, right? It's also the enemy of faith, by the way. See, you can't maintain faith in God and His provisions as long as you're entertaining that spirit of fear and anxiety. It doesn't work that way. They'll cancel each other out. Actually, the fear and anxiety cancel out the faith if you're entertaining that anxiety. Okay? You've got to make that conscious decision to walk in great faith of God's promises and provisions. The next verse. Uh, the second half of verse 6 says, In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So, the principle here is simply do as that says. Present your request to Him, but do it in a spirit of thanksgiving. See, go ahead and pray, yes. Go ahead and bombard heaven with passion. But never do it, listen, never do it in a spirit of fear and anxiety because God doesn't cohabitate with fear and anxiety. Did I lose you on that one? God doesn't cohabitate with fear and anxiety. See, God, His dwelling place is in a state of faith. The Bible says we can't even please God without faith. Let me let you dwell on that for a second. The Bible says we can't even please God without faith. Faith is cultivated by what? Thanksgiving. Dwelling on the goodness and the purposes and the promises of God. That's how we cultivate that spirit of thanksgiving. And that will build our faith and our confidence in God. You know, you can always find something to be thankful about. No matter what situation you're in, you can always find something to be thankful about no matter what you're going through. So I would just encourage you to wake up in the morning and, and start expressing your thankfulness to God for what He has done for you. There's so many things that you can find to be thankful for. It's so easy to take that default position and focus in on what's wrong in your life and forget about all that's right. Yeah? You know, if you got a little hangnail, it's so easy to focus on that painful little hangnail, and the rest of your body's doing great, but you're focused on that hangnail because it hurts. But your body's strong and energetic, and there's so many good things that you could, you could focus on, but our tendency is to focus on that little bitty hangnail that's just giving us a little bit of problems. But if you can switch your focus on all the things that are right, man, it will raise your countenance. It really will. It really will. All right, and in Philippians 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Huh. Amen. Amen. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Think on these things. Man, so many marriages have crashed and burned because spouses focus on the few little things that's wrong with their spouse rather than focusing on all the things that are right. Come on. So many marriages have crashed and burned because they focus on the negative rather than celebrating the positive. Come on, did some of you need to hear that or something this morning? You're all a little quiet. Okay, the Lord just threw that in there for free. That wasn't even in my notes. So some of you may needed to hear that. Uh, if we could focus on what's right and celebrate that, then the things that are wrong will diminish some, and you'll be happier with your spouse. If both of you can do that, you're going to live a wonderful existence in your marriage. Praise God. So our principle here then is to fix your mind on that which is admirable and praiseworthy. Now, this is such a vital principle right here. And it's also difficult to do, by the way, without the help of the Holy Spirit. So if we're to live in peace, it's so important what we fix our minds on. See, if all you ever feed on is the news, I guarantee you, you're not going to be in peace. Guaranteed. But if you gaze upon the greatness of God in his word and and celebrate what he's already done for you. If you gaze upon his greatness like that and turn away from that which troubles you. Then you'll enjoy greater levels of peace. And I'm not talking about burying your head in the sand, by the way, and pretending there's not a storm going on around you. That's not what I'm talking about. We are called to address certain situations when they occur. We are called to do what we can to make the world a better place. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But in doing so, we have to remember that peace is found on the bosom of God. Much like the disciple John at the Last Supper when he leaned back against the chest of Jesus. Yeah, Peace is found on the bosom of God. But a combative spirit of confrontation, on the other hand, usually doesn't end well. It's like the Apostle Peter, when he tried to defend Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane by attempting to split the head of the high priest's servant with a sword and missed and cut off his ear instead. And we know what happened to Peter shortly after that. Uh, He wasn't enjoying a spirit of peace yet like John was. And he went on to deny even knowing the Savior on three different occasions shortly after that. But I want to tell you this. I want to give you an insight about John. Because I've seen these paintings of the Last Supper. And John is always depicted as some mousy little person. I want to let you know that John was not a law like that. As a matter of fact, John, when he was called to be a disciple by Jesus, he and his brother Andrew were called by Jesus the sons of thunder. So he wasn't too unlike Peter in that regard. But John fixed his gaze on Jesus, and it melted him into a man of tenderness and a man of great peace. And I want to qualify something about using the word peace there. Peace doesn't mean weakness, folks. Peace doesn't mean weakness. John, by the way, I don't know if you, if you really realize this or thought about it, but John was the only disciple brave enough to stand at the foot of Jesus' cross. All the other disciples were scattered by fear of the Romans or the Jewish authorities. Only John stood with Jesus when it really counted. And yes, knowing the love of God will make you a person of great peace and great strength. Great strength. I believe that John was a man of great strength. All right. The second concept that I want you to understand this morning is that we need to remember that everything that happens to you will work together for your good if you're committed to the purposes of God. You see, God won't always allow you to navigate around the storm, but sometimes he'll allow you to go straight through the storm and that allows you to trust him for the outcome. Praise God. And that in turn builds your spiritual muscles, doesn't it? That in turn builds your spiritual faith muscles. See, God never promised us smooth sailing all the days of our lives. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But what's the second half of what he said right there? There you go. But take heart because I have overcome the world. In other words, if you're going through the storms of life right now, uh, you can hang on to Jesus because he's bigger than that storm. He's bigger than that storm. And I love the promise of Romans 8.28 along these lines as well because there's a promise there in that verse that there's nothing that can ever happen to you That won't work toward our good as long as we stay committed to the purposes of God in our lives. I like what Pastor Keith Moore said about that concept. He said, if it's in the ring with you, you can take it. Because if God has allowed it to be in the ring with you, He won't ever allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, the Bible says. I'm going to say that again. He won't ever allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So if it's in the ring with you, see, he's a, a former, Keith Moore was a former, was it like a, cage he was a cage fighter or something like that. And when he was younger, I mean, he was, he, he trained like that. So, uh, so that's, the, uh, that's the language, the analogy that he used, that if it's in the ring with you, if God allowed it to be in the ring with you, you can take it. And when I say take it, I don't mean just like take it on the chin and endure it. I mean you can take the thing down. You can overcome that thing. Praise God. So then, here's Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. That's a great promise. What a great promise. You need to remember that when you're going through the storms of life. That this will work to bring good things, ultimately, into your life. One of my Bible heroes is David, who really understood that concept. And the reason I like David so much, the reason he's such an inspiration to me, is because of how he handled adversity in his life. See, he maintained the love of God, even toward a madman who wanted to kill him and hunted him relentlessly, King Saul, right? He maintained the love of God toward even murderous King Saul. And you remember that time when David was on the run? He was hiding out in a cave, and and King Saul and his army were pursuing him. And King Saul decided that he was going to go into this cave to relieve himself, not knowing David was in there which gave David the perfect opportunity to kill him and end his time as a fugitive. But David wouldn't do it. As a matter of fact, after Saul left the cave, David stood at the mouth of the cave and called out to Saul and called him, my father. Hmm. Why do you think that David honored Saul to that degree, even knowing that Saul wanted to kill him. Here's why because he trusted God. Period. See, he knew he didn't have to take matters into his own hands. By giving the situation to God, that allowed David to walk in a certain measure of peace because he'd given it over to God, he had faith in God's. Purposes for him. So that allowed him to walk in a certain measure of peace, and that in turn allowed him to express, listen, that in turn allowed him to express the love of God even to a person who didn't deserve it. You know, I'm a people watcher, and early in my relationship with Donna, she would complain from time to time when we were out eating together that I was very distracted. Because I was looking around at all the people in the restaurant. And, uh, you know, I don't know why I do that. I still do that to this day. I don't know why I do that. But lately, God has been speaking to me about the people that I see and reminding me how much he loves each and every one of them. As a matter of fact, I was in a restaurant as I was traveling on business this past week. I was in a restaurant and a young man walked in with a black leather jacket on with satanic symbols literally all over the back of his jacket. And I was a little taken aback by that at first, but then the Holy Spirit reminded me that God loves even that young man. And he wants him to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, listen, you will never cross paths with anyone that God isn't concerned about. I'm going to say that again. You, you won't ever cross paths with anyone that God isn't concerned about. Have you seen some of those really scary looking people that have tattoos all up their neck and face and piercings everywhere? I mean, those, you look at some of those people and you're like, whoa, you want to walk the other way. God's concerned about those people. He loves them. He's concerned about them. He doesn't want them to go to hell. So rather than being angry about the degradation that we see around us, let's remember that these people are slaves of sin, just like you and I were once slaves of sin. And God wants to rescue them, just like He rescued you, just like He rescued me, and He wants to use you and me to do it. But it's so important that we maintain that spirit of peace Because if we're constantly troubled in our hearts by this or that or so disgusted and repelled by what we see in people that we don't want to approach them then it's more difficult to walk in the love of God and to therefore reach those people. I just want to prepare you for something. I believe that there's going to be more and more people that probably as the Spirit of God moves across this country You might see people come in this church that look very shocking to you. Mm -hmm. I want to remind you of the fact that Jesus didn't hold back from ministering to the so-called scum of society. As a matter of fact, the religious elites criticized him for reaching out to the so-called scum of society. Okay, We're called to do the same thing, folks. All right. Once again, I want to say that it's more difficult to walk in the love of God if you're troubled in your heart by this or that and by the things that you see. And the reverse is also true, by the way. If you aren't pursuing walking in the love of God, folks, it's more difficult to live in peace. So both are true. St. Francis of Assisi said this Lord, Make us instruments of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Do you agree with that? Now, I want to start bringing this teaching to a close this morning by telling you the story of that little girl in the middle of the screen there In that picture, that's a very famous picture from the Vietnam War. Many of you who are my age probably remember that picture. Some of you younger ones may not remember that. That may not. This may be your first exposure to that picture. And that little girl in the middle there, her name is Phan Thi Kim Phuc. And I want to tell you her story in a moment. But before I do, I want to give you the last principle of this teaching, and that's that a major component of living in love and experiencing great peace. Is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. See, you can't ever live in the peace of God. Not to its fullest extent anyway. Until you let go of the past. And forgive as Christ has forgiven you. See, that's where we come to the story about about nine-year-old Fan Thi Kim Phuc. And I'm just going to call her Kim for short. Well, during the Vietnam War an American commander ordered South Vietnamese aircraft to drop napalm bombs on the tiny village where Kim lived. Now, if you're not familiar with what a napalm bomb is, it's basically a firebomb that when it explodes, it sends fire in every direction. So in that explosion, in that attack, two of Kim's brothers were killed and she was badly burned. Uh, She fled naked up the road toward the photographer in that picture that you see there, holding her arms out sideways because of her burns, screaming in pain. She suffered third-degree burns over 50% of her body, but she lived. She endured 14 months of painful rehabilitation and scores of skin grafts. It was so painful for her to have her wounds washed that sometimes she would literally pass out with the pain. She recovered, though, although scarred very badly all over her back and arms. And she went on to marry later in life and immigrated to Canada where she became a Christian and has since learned to forgive. And there's a more recent picture on the screen right there. Now, although her scarred skin lost sweat and oil glands and still causes her pain from time to time, she's no longer in pain inwardly, you see, because she's learned to forgive through the power of Jesus Christ. In 1996, she accepted an invitation from several Vietnamese veteran groups to join in Veteran Day ceremonies held at the the, uh, Vietnam Veterans Memorial where she laid a wreath and then spoke words of forgiveness. And she said this, I have suffered from a lot of both physical and emotional pain. Sometimes I could not even breathe. But God saved my life and gave me faith and hope. Even if I could talk face-to-face with a pilot who dropped the bombs, she says, I would tell him, we cannot change history but we, sh- we should try to do good things for the present and for the future to promote peace. Folks, I know that many of you in here have suffered. And if you have suffered, please remember that those who suffer the most can be the greatest peacemakers sometimes. So I want you to look at Kim's face there in uh, that picture. She was a little girl. When she was screaming in terror and pain. Look at the agony on her face. And then look at the serenity on her face. There in that more recent picture she addresses a crowd of people. Here's my point. If you're in pain right now, just remember that this chapter in your life, although painful, it will pass. And what you do with that pain will determine your future. What you do with that pain will determine your future. See, we have to learn to forgive just as we have been forgiven. And only then will we enjoy great peace inwardly. I want to tell you something about unforgiveness and bitterness. It will leave you distressed and in turmoil. But when you're able to release those things then you allow the love and the peace of God to fill your heart and your mind. All right, I'm about done here. So why is this concept today, the concept of love, forgiveness, and walking in the peace of God? Why is this a sign of the prepared, those who are prepared for Christ's return? Well, here's why. In 1 John 4.16, it says, God is love. That's who he is. That's his very nature. God is love. So whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Be like, I need to say that again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So if you're living in the love of God, you are absolutely much more prepared than those who are not living in the love of God for the return of Christ. I mean think about it folks, when he comes back or you go to be with him in death, you don't want to be in that situation holding all kinds of resentment and anger toward people being in constant turmoil because of the the resentment that you have in your heart. You want to, you want to meet Christ having done away with all that. So there's nothing on your heart that could ever Make you feel like, wow, I'm, I'm not ready to meet him yet. You want to deal with all that now. Deal with all that now. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.